The Posting Up Podcast is sponsored by T. Rowe Price. Are you looking to learn a thing or two about getting your finances in order, saving, and investing? Check out The Confident Wallet, a personal finance podcast series by T. Rowe Price and the Washington Post Brand Studio. Coming soon to wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to Posting Up, the Washington Post NBA podcast. I'm your host, Tim Bontemps, National NBA Writer for the Washington Post. Coming to you today with, I think, is a really interesting and important podcast with my friend Brian Winters from ESPN.com. Brian and I get into the financial state of the league, which he knows better than anybody. He and Zach Lowe did a big story last year detailing how much money all the teams in the league made, who you know who made a lot of money, who lost money, uh, you know how the luxury tax and the, the tax payments and revenue sharing kind of in, in affected all of that. Uh, and we're going to get into that on the podcast, which I which I think is a story that people are going to need to know about in the next year or two. Uh, I wrote a column uh, for Friday morning uh, for the Washington Post about the Charlotte Hornets, who are going to be stuck in uh, a really difficult financial situation moving forward here, in part because of big contracts signed a couple years ago uh, when the cap spiked, which allowed Kevin Durant to come to Golden State, which also led to a lot of inflated salaries around the league that are still impacting the league books now and for the next couple of seasons. And could actually have half the teams in the NBA in a luxury tax next year, which uh, which is unheard of. So there's a there's a lot of things that are impacting the league coming up financially that are worth knowing from a fan perspective. We're going to get into that here. So with that, let me get to my conversation with Brian. All right, Brian, thanks for coming on. Uh, for people that don't know, uh, life in the NBA, uh, since it's in the winter, often requires crazy travel stories. And Brian, who was at the Celtics-Cavs game in uh, Boston on Wednesday night, is now talking to me on Thursday night from a hotel in Washington. Uh, so, Brian, do you want to explain uh, why you're oh in Washington God. and not in Omaha after 24 hours of travel? Yeah, I mean, uh, I I looked at the forecast and, you know, it said it was going to snow, you know, Thursday in Boston. I'm like, okay, well, that could, you know, cause some delays or whatever. I didn't know it was going to be like the perfect winter storm bomb vortex, whatever. (laughs) The bomb cyclone, I believe, is what it's called, which Um, after spending my entire life uh, until the last year living in uh, snow areas, I never heard of any such thing as a bomb cyclone. So that was that was an interesting development this week. Yeah, they were like, um, coastal Massachusetts could get hit hard. And I was like, hmm, I believe Boston's on the ocean. That's coastal Massachusetts. Um, so, yeah, I mean, not only that, the game was a kind of a dud. And um, so all the, I mean, like 95% of the flights got canceled for Thursday. And I was like, okay, I'll just spend a day in, in Boston, and I'll just ride out the snow, and I'll go see a movie, and I'll just fly home Friday. And then... <laughs> the Friday flights got canceled and like, it was like, maybe you can get out Saturday. And now, now you're talking about two days and maybes and stuff. And so you convinced me to get on a five, a- you convinced me at 2 AM to get the heck out of Boston and get on a 5 AM train. I did. Um, there was only the 5 AM and the 6 AM train. After that, everything was canceled. So I went, got on the 5 AM train to New York, um, assumed that, you know, it said, it said it was going to snow in New York, but it didn't. I don't think, unless I really got the forecast wrong, I don't think it was supposed to be a blizzard in New York. 
So I booked a flight out of New York. By the time I got to to Connecticut, it was disaster weather, and New York had canceled. Uh, Philadelphia flights had canceled, and so I just kept riding the train all the way down to D.C., and I'm hoping to get out of D.C. tomorrow. Well, so, I'm, I'm sure you'll be able to. Got, got to spend some time with the PTI guys, so it all, it all worked out. Ten hours. You know, I don't even know how long that ride is supposed to take. <laughs> ended up ended up taking ten hours. We had to it's stop. It's supposed like to take about times. six. It's definitely not supposed to take ten. Yeah, uh, I, I left at five, and I got in at three. Oof. I don't know how many hours that is. That's that's but ten. <laughs> Good we math. Had to, we we had to stop maybe four or five times. Like one time, they just they had to get out, and they had to knock ice off the bottom of the train so it could keep going. Wow. So, yeah, the, the train, the trains, the trains pretty much go no matter what. So once they get started, so I'm glad that uh, I'm glad you got out of there and hopefully you get home in one piece uh, tomorrow. But uh, but it you know that's that's what life that's what life in the NBA in December and January is like. Since half the country that are more that we're, we have to deal with is in uh, is in snow. So there's going to be nice when you have to make some crazy decisions to get out of uh, get out of places and get home at some point. Yeah, you just don't want to get trapped because, you know, <laughs> life moves on and, you know, you lose two days in a place and it, like messes you up for, you know, a week. So um, I lost one day. Hopefully I'll get I'll get some. I have good karma in the bank now. <laughs> something good. Something good travel wise will happen later on. Yeah, no, I, I think I think that you'll be in good shape. And, and, and you know, it's funny when you talk about like not getting stuck. It, the reason I wanted to have you on this podcast goes with a column I'm writing or I wrote for uh, for today, Friday for the website Clickety Clack uh, about kind of where the fi- the financial state of the league is going. And I wrote about the Charlotte Hornets, who I, I think are in kind of a fascinating position. And I think they're the first team that's really going to be fundamentally impacted by the summer of 2016. Um, obviously, everybody thinks of that summer in the cap spike because of um, the fact that it allowed the Warriors to get Kevin Durant without having to break up their nucleus of three stars. But what it also did was jack the salary structure of the league up completely for basically every team. And now you look at Charlotte, a team that isn't any good, is headed to a lottery, headed to the lottery, um, and is going to be a luxury tax team next season, barring you know probably having to make at least one or two pretty significant trades, um, be- in large part because of salaries they got they got handed out in that summer. Um, and, and you, I want to talk to you about this because you wrote a story with Zach Lowe last year, kind of breaking down where the financial state of the league was as a whole, um, you know, in terms of who was making money and losing money. And I think that when you when you look at where the NBA is right now, like it's obviously in a really good shape from an interest standpoint and from you know the, the where the gameplay is at but i think the fact that you could have half the league in the tax next year um is going to become something that's really going to drive the decision making of a lot of teams moving forward and it's something that not really anybody has talked about yeah you know we saw quite a few financially motivated trades uh between about 2008 and 2012 or 13 uh the cap wasn't growing um, the economy was poor. Some owners were tight. The uh, Phoenix Suns um, were sort of at the forefront of this, making a lot of deals. Selling a lot uh, of draft picks. Yeah, basically. Um, and the financial motivation deals since, I think sort of the new age of financial deals dates back to the trades that the Warriors made to free up cap space for Andre Guadalla. Yep. Um, for, for the last maybe three, four years, a lot of the trades that are financially based were to create more cap space so that they could use that money elsewhere. 
So uh, it wasn't because, you know, they were under crushing financial situations. Well, um, after all the spending for the last two years and the fact that the cap is not going to grow, it's going to essentially be flat. Um, uh, you're going to see financially based trades. And so teams that have uh, flexibility in their cap um, aren't going to be potentially in great position to take advantage Uh um, you know, this is something that uh, Oklahoma City pioneered um, when they were building their team. They, they didn't have any high-priced players, so they were able to take on money and get draft picks for it. Other teams uh, mimic them. Um, and so I think you're going to see that come back. And Charlotte is, you know, one of the things that causes owners to get in fights about money is that Charlotte will say – all right, we have to compete in the same league with the New York Knicks and the Los Angeles Lakers, Chicago Bulls, um, and you know we don't we can't sell tickets and sponsorships and local TV deals like those teams are. So they have to share their money, and in fact they do. The the, the Hornets have received over thirty million dollars in revenue sharing uh, in each of the last three years, um, and that means essentially that. Uh, they're getting checks written to them by their partners. The Lakers are writing big checks that are going right into the to the Hornets' pockets, and that's yep. sort of is because listen, the Lakers have a huge local TV deal, uh, but they have to put games on TV. You know, they can't just play it themselves. So you know, they play the the Hornets twice a year. They play the Jazz four times a year. Those are TV games. Those are on the um, Time Warner Network, and and so it's part of a deal. But the where the issue comes is when the, and the infighting comes is when the hornets are having their hand out for 30 million to keep them you know solvent and they hand out a 125 million dollar contract to Nick Batum that's where you get some frustration in the in the uh, board of governors meetings and you know that type of tri- you know Nick Batum isn't really a high-profile player, and people weren't squawking about that contract. But no, there were other is, teams that were willing to hand out that con- that same contract. Well, it wouldn't have been a five-year deal, but it would have been a four-year deal for the same money. Right, um, and you know, so of all those maxes that got handed out, Chandler Parsons, Nick Batum, uh, what are some of the other ones that were? Joe like, Noah got signed that summer. Oh. Bismack Biombo got signed oh. that summer. Jan Mahinmi got signed that summer. Ryan Anderson oh, got signed that summer. All those contracts were at least $64 million. Most of them were over 70 or $80 million. I'm still recovering from that Joe Kim Noah memory. Oh, my God. <laughs> um, yeah, so, uh, yeah, the, the, sort of the bill's coming due because um, the cap's not going up anymore. We saw, you know, it's, it's easy um, to, uh, you know, when the cap keeps going up and up, it's easy to spend money. But now that the lid comes on... Um, it's gonna be it's gonna be squeezing, and and the, as you mentioned, the Hornets are definitely a team that's facing a squeeze, and you know they they probably can't trade Nick Batum. Um, well, the only probably, way they can trade Nick Batum is if they trade him for another bad contract. Like, right, would you right. trade like if you're the Knicks? Do you say, hey, we'll give you Joakim Noah, and we'll take Nick Batum because Nick Batum makes five or six million dollars a year more, plus he has an extra year on his contract, and you just save a ton of money and take on a terrible player. I mean, that, that's the kind of right. trade, if they need to save money, that's what they're going to do. They cannot, you cannot make a basketball trade with that contract at this point. Probably not. And, um, 
or they have to do something like trade a player away that they don't want to trade, like maybe Kemba Walker. Well, and that is, um, and that is the genesis. That was the genesis of the column I wrote, which is that, like, you look at Charlotte right now. I mean, they, they kind of went all in this year, right? They, they, they went 48 year, games two years ago after they trade for Nick Batum. They signed Nick Batum to that contract. They signed Marvin Williams to a big contract. Those guys next year are going to combine to make $38 million. Nick Batum is going to make 24. Marvin Williams is going to make 14. They trade Miles Plumlee and some Flotsam this summer to get Dwight Howard to try oh to go boy. all in and make the playoffs. Dwight hasn't been awful for them, but he's due to make $24 million next year. So, you know, you got those three guys combined to make over $60 million. And then you've got six guys on their team making, you know, eight-figure contracts. So that's how you're already basically locked into paying the luxury tax before you even, you know, fill out your roster if you're the Hornets for a team that might win 30 games this year. Yeah, so you know, you hear often that the worst place to be is in the middle. I can take it a step further. The worst place to be is in the middle, and expensive. Yes. <laughs> if you're if you're if you're in the middle and you're not that expensive, at least you have some flexibility. Yep. And um, they have none. And no. And you know, another team that's sort of they're not they're they're, they're I guess they're kind of still in the middle. They're a little bit up echelon. Is the Milwaukee Bucks? Um, well, they are in a fascinating know, situation on a lot of levels next year. Yeah, they're headed for luxury tax as well, and again, now they're they're going into a new arena next year, and that should help them. But they're still a small market. I don't know if they should be a taxpayer, and probably shouldn't be a taxpayer with a team that you know maybe has a chance to finish fifth, fourth, or fifth, or something like that in the East. If you're going to pay the tax in your Milwaukee. You'd like to do it when you're uh, in a serious contender status. Um, and, you know, it also hampers what they can do going forward. Um, yep. You know, uh, and so, you know, Milwaukee's in a better place than Charlotte, but financially they're just as they're just as much of a tough situation, especially with Jabari Parker. Well, um, and, that, free and that is the fascinating thing with Milwaukee because you look at them, right? And, you know, they're a team right now that's got nine contracts on the books next year for about $104 million guaranteed, including some stretch salary. And, you know, the, the, the pressure, uh, Spencer Hawes and Larry Sanders. Oh, yeah. That's uh, right. And the, the pressure. Oh, my God, Larry Sanders. Larry Sanders, oh, whose contract goes forever still at a couple oh, of years. But the thing, the thing with, with them that's interesting and what I'm really curious to see is, does somebody say, look, we know Jabari has, you know, torn his ACL a couple times, but do we, do we risk it and, and throw a max at him and as a restricted free agent? Because, you know, that's the, like if they sign Jabari, say somebody offers Jabari a max, let's say Chicago does and want to bring him back to Chicago, right? And they offer him a, a, a max starting at $26 million a year. If they match that, that contract, they're going to be already 7 or $8 million into the tax with a team that still has four or five roster spots to fill out and would end up costing them $150, $160 million. And they would lose a ton of money then. I mean, they're a team that essentially breaks even if they're around the cap. So... I mean, you're talking committing a ton of money to a team that, like you said, is a good team that has you know one of the five best players in the league on it, but isn't a team that necessarily is ready to be one of the five best teams in the league. And if you're the Bucs, is their ownership really, for all, their, all the talk they give right now about how they want to keep Jabari, and I'm sure they do, are they going to be willing to spend that kind of money to keep a guy who's already blown his knee out twice when that'd be a huge financial risk to a team that's already kind of skirting financial trouble as it is? Yeah, and I think the real thing is you look at the Bucks and you say, all right, can they afford to keep Eric Bledsoe, Jabari Parker, Chris Middleton, and Giannis Antetokounmpo? And the answer is probably not. But if you lose one of those guys, how does that affect 
Giannis, especially when uh, you know he is going to be one of these guys that people are going to be looking at. Yes, he's got three years left on his contract, but the clock will start ticking in a year. And, you know, that's just one of those things. You know, they, they've committed to go, you know, I don't know if you would say all in, but financially, they're, if they sign Jabari to a... To if a, they sign Jabari to a big contract, I mean, they're probably going to have to try to attach assets to move guys like John Henson and Mirza Tiladovich and uh, Matthew Delvadova, who are combining, by the way, to make $30 million next year. So <laughs> that's oh, that's man. another situation where... And, and those contracts were handed out in that same summer of 2016. You know, Matthew Dellavedova makes more money than Isaiah Thomas. Yep. I mean, all three of those contracts were signed in the summer of 2016. So if you want another reminder of, you know, how that summer is impacting teams, there you go. That's If, if you take that $30 million off of Milwaukee's books, they're in a much different financial situation. Um, you know, and, and again, also, you know what we haven't talked about? They got to pay Malcolm Brogdon, too. Yes, they do. Second round, second round pick. Um, they got to pay him long term. They're just not going to be able to keep this team together, and they're under pressure to improve their roster. Yep. Um, you know, and and they're just not going to be able to keep these dudes together. I don't think. No, I mean it's and that and that's kind of where you know that's where all this is going. Like you look at Charlotte now. You know, if you're if you're the Hornets and you can go to say the Knicks and say, you know, can we do, uh, you know, Marvin Williams and Kemba for Joakim Noah, Frank Nilakina in a first, right? If if you you know maybe you have to do that and try to you know just completely start over and and give up your best player to get yourself some financial flexibility because you have a team that just isn't going anywhere and is going to be in the tax. Maybe you have to God. do like a Nick Batum, a Nick Batum for Yad Mahimi trade or some similar trade, Nick Batum for Bismack Biyombo, whatever, like some other equally bad basketball trade to save money. Um, you know, look, another team that, that I think is in a similar situation, this is the Denver Nuggets. Like Denver, Denver is very, is you know, it's confidently talented teams. They don't have to give up salary, right? They're right now already projected with 10 guaranteed contracts on the books at $90 million. And with Wilson Chandler and Darrell Arthur, who I think are both going to opt in, that's another $21 million, $22 million actually, that they're they're going to have locked in. So they're at $111 million for 22, for 12 guys. That's before you have to sign Nikola Jokic to a max contract. So you sign him to a max contract this summer, you're talking about being close to $140 million for a team that doesn't really like to spend a ton of money in, in traditionally and with a luxury tax line of 122 or $3 million, you're talking about a team that's going to cost, again, $160 million, $170 million. And I just can't, like, there are a lot of teams in that same boat that are not traditional teams that spend a lot of money that are going to be looking at paying just gargantuan bills next summer and the summer beyond that. And, uh, you know, I, I just am fascinated to see how the league handles this because, you know, even when you want to spin it forward and say, okay, like you said at the beginning, there's these teams that could maybe potentially benefit from that in terms of taking on bad money. There's not even a lot of teams with a lot of cap room. I mean, there's currently, I think for next summer, there's four teams with projected max cap room right now. The Lakers, the Bulls, the Hawks, and the Sixers. Then you've got some teams that are in like the 15 to 20 million range, like Brooklyn, Phoenix, Dallas, Indiana. Uh, The Clippers and Kings have some money, but that's it. Like there's not a lot of teams that could take on a $12 million contract or a $10 million contract. So, even if teams like, oh, we can maybe pass off one of these expiring deals to save some money, there, there might not even be a lot of homes for teams like, for, for guys like that at this point.
If you enjoy this podcast and are interested in learning more about the NBA, you can get my weekly NBA newsletter, the Monday Morning Post-Up, delivered right to your inbox every Monday morning at 8 a.m. To do so, please go to wapo.st slash postupnewsletter to subscribe. You'll get an original column from me, links to my work from the past week, links to work from both my colleagues at the Washington Post and other writers from around the web about the league, a viewing guide for the week ahead, and some dining and pop culture recommendations. Again, to subscribe to the Monday Morning Post-Up, please go to wapo.st slash postupnewsletter and start your week off right with everything you need to know about the NBA. I'm still thinking about Kemba Walker playing for the Knicks. That would be amazing. It would be pretty fun, right? I mean, that's a pretty interesting trade. You know, because look, I, I've, I've been pretty vocal about the fact that I think the Knicks need to build for the long term and just draft some young guys and build around Porzingis. And I think Noah is going to be good. I mean, he's a really good defensive player. He's shown some offensive signs already. He's super young. He's long. He's athletic. Um, I think he's got a chance to be a nice player. But... You know, is James Dol- if you could tell James Dolan that you could have New York's own Kemba Walker running the pick and roll with Porzingis in New York, I mean, that that's a trade. And if you can get out of Joe Keem's money and get Marvin Williams to come in there and, and actually <laughs> give him some floor spacing. You, you could almost, if you were able to do that deal, you could almost sell. Um, you could almost sell that the Joe Kim thing was, a, you know, was a, because if, if he is used, if his contract is used as a ballast to get an all-star point guard all-star level point guard um you could argue that it was all worth it i mean i wouldn't Um, i wouldn't quite go that far but that's certainly how the knicks would argue it right but i mean like i mean like like, so but i think these are really the kind of trades that we have to start thinking about because to your point i think there's going to be teams in the league that are going to be really in a pinch financially and are going to have to give up assets to save money because I just cannot see all these teams spending this kind of money. You know who forward. else is going to be in um, potential salary cap jail if their guys resign? Is Oklahoma City Thunder? Well, yeah, we can talk about that. I mean, do you want to walk people through? You want? I mean, I can I can pull up the numbers. You don't want to walk people through how expensive that's going to be. Well, you know, Westbrook already resigned, so he's got a two hundred million dollar deal. Uh, I have to assume that Melo is going to opt in. I, I guess he could opt out and take a huge pay cut to play elsewhere. I mean, he's made a lot of money. It's possible. But for the sake of this, let's just assume that he opts in and that Paul George resigns. Even if he signs on a short deal, signs, you know, a one plus one or what have you, you know, you add those three situations to, um, you know, S- Stephen Adams. Um, they're potentially, they're facing the repeater tax. They're potentially going to have somewhere in the neighborhood of 200 and I think about 260, 250 million, including taxes in their um, in their salary next year, depending, you know, it depends on what they do with some of their other players. But the number, the number I just looked up my column from I just looked up my column from September and when they made the trade, Bobby Marks calculated and it would cost Oklahoma City a combined three hundred and ten million dollars if those guys sign max contracts and Carmelo opts in. Yeah. Um, and again, like I mean, they can save some money moving on from guys like Kyle Singler. They can do some other little things on the fringes to save money. But I mean, and and I it, the Thunder will privately tell you that they kind of budgeted in for a big year or two of spending anyway, and they've been kind of planning ahead so that they can stomach a year of that. But it's still an insane amount of money to spend in the short term. I mean, three hundred million dollars. I, I that's probably 
borderline more money than the Thunder have spent on on salaries in the last five years or six years combined. I mean, and the Thunder have extended, have, you know, put their necks out a little bit. So, yep. um, you know, it, this is a lot of ways we're saying that um, uh, there's going to be some, you know, it's feast and famine with the way they decided to do this. And, and the famine could be coming. And what this is all going to mean with all this tightness, in addition to some teams being under under the gun, the market's going to be it's going to dry up and going to be tight for some free agents, guys who, you know, uh, really well, got paid in 2016 are not going to get paid in 2018. Well, it's got to be really tight for these restricted guys, like Julius Randle, Marcus Smart, um, even some of these guys like Aaron Gordon. Like, you know, a lot of these teams, like, like I said, there's only a few teams with max cap room. So if those teams aren't willing to spend money on any of these guys, and like this is especially true if like let's say let's say the the stars all stay where they're at, right? Let's say Demarcus stays in New Orleans. Let's say Paul George stays in Oklahoma City. Let's say LeBron stays in Cleveland. Let's say Chris Paul stays in Houston. Uh, are, are all those teams with money? They don't have to spend money on anybody. They can kind of say, hey, like there's nobody worth spending our money on. Let's wait and see what we can get in these trades. So if you are Zach Levine, Jabari Parker, uh, Aaron Gordon, uh, Julius Randle, Marcus Smart, all these restricted free agents this summer, they might be looking around going, hey, where's our money? And they might all have to take contracts, either take the um, take the qualifying offer or take contracts way less than what they're expecting uh, because there just simply is absolutely no market for them to sign anywhere. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, we saw this catch uh, a handful of players at the end uh, last year. Look at a guy like Catavius um, Caldwell Pope, right? He went into he went into the summer thinking he was going to get a huge contract and he he basically had to sign a one-year deal. Um, yes, Caldwell Pope, uh, Jonathan Simmons. Um, uh, who else got, got caught in that? I'm I'm trying to think now. Um, of course, I'm I'm blanking. I mean, but even it, it just even if you look at like even a guy like Patrick Patterson signing for five million dollars a year, or yeah, that's a good that's a good one. Or yeah. or guys like Todd Gibson and and Jeff Teague signing for basically two years, right? Or Paul or George yeah. Hill signing for two years. Paul Millsap. Paul Millsap signing for two years. E- even Kyle Lowry. Who right, Kyle Lowry's another one. He him and him and Serge Ibaka both they they signed for two two three year deals. Two years ago, they would have been signing max deals or four-year deals for full, you know, with full raises. Instead, all those, you know, Kyle Lowry had a three-year deal. Serge Ibaka had a three-year deal. Paul Millsap, I mean, I was sure Paul Millsap was getting a max. Paul Millsap gets a two-year deal with a team option for a third year. Yeah, he got max money, but short. Right. Yeah, so we're going to see financial maneuvering. Uh, come to a head starting this summer and um, certain things that fans and certainly players got used to last couple years is going to come down, come to an end. And by the way, the league tried to avoid this. This is why the league wanted to, to bring in smoothing so that the the spike that hit the cap would have, would have been phased in over four or five years instead of like a two year jump. Um, That two year jump um, is going to cause this, um, market correction and it also opened the door for the thought for the uh, wizards wizards my god i'm tired the warriors <laughs> um to get kevin durant so yep. that that is a huge moment in nba history that cap spike and, and we're gonna see it's the gonna fundamentally the alter the trajectory of the league though i don't really think it's fair like i i think the league i think the league is gets too much of a pass 
for that summer because I think when you go back and think about the situation the league was in, so the, so that when they signed that TV contract, I remember I was at the press conference. You might have been there too. I think you were living in New York then, and um, I was at that press conference. Like, holy cow! Like, there's going to be a huge spike in the cap. And I remember talking to the league at that press conference, and they were like, "Yeah, we're going to talk to the players' association and see what they say." But that was right after Michelle Roberts came in. And that was coming off a tenure where Billy Hunter was seen as he was in the league's pocket and she had to come in and be like, yeah, I'm not agreeing with the league on anything. And I, to me, I fundamentally think the league screwed up because they didn't sell hard enough the idea that we need to do this. They kind of made well, one half-hearted pass at it. The, the union said I no, know. I don't know. and that different was it. Would, different people would argue about that. I mean, I think the league tried to present the case to the union, but I also think the union... Remember, this was under the last CBA. Yep. And the union really felt like um, they had been hammered in that. CBA there was a lot of. There was no trust on. There was no trust in the in the in the negotiations well, at that it point. Was coming out of the lockout, the, the, the union. That's what was, I mean. Uh, was upset about the lockout. Um, they ousted their entire union leadership, and this was a way to declare a victory uh, over the league because the league wanted smoothing, and this was a way for them to declare a victory. So, yep. There's a, a lot of stuff at play there. It was a little more complex, but either way, no matter what, I just think there's blame on all sides. That's all I mean. I, I think that fair. I think that if, I think that if the league had really wanted it, they could have you know given over something to, to induce the players into negotiating. And instead, they kind of said, "Well, they don't want to do it." And you know, look, the ramifications of that are going to run out for the next five or ten years. I mean, that, do you think? Uh, do you think people are listening to this podcast this far in? Do you think they care about this money stuff? Because uh, ten years ago fans wouldn't care and now it's now i think the savvy fan is cares about oh i think they ca- i think they care a lot i mean and look i think you know what fans are going to care this summer when their teams are making moves that they don't think makes any sense and why don't they make any sense because they're they're being done for financial reasons you know the you know the the, the david stern famous basketball reasons for vetoing the chris paul trade right like there are going to be trades being made for strictly financial reasons and guys being moved, you know, strictly for financial. Re- like to me, the Jabari Parker thing is a fascinating situation. I mean, what if, what if the, the, the bucks can't move a guy like Mirza or a guy like John Henson or a guy like Della Vadova? like say they just can't get a taker for them. I mean, are they, are they going to be willing to pay a full max contract to Jabari Parker coming off to torn ACLs. Now, maybe they won't have to. Maybe the cap is going to tighten up to the point where they can get him for 18 a year and it'll it'll look a lot different to them. But maybe they can't. And I, I think you could see you know, a, a situation like that where you have a young, talented guy. Like Maybe he changes teams because they just can't afford to keep him. I mean, I, I think you could really start to see stuff like that happen to, to really screw things up. For sure. I mean, even the Lakers, right? I mean, the Lakers, part of the reason the Lakers are going to be in trouble this summer is because they have contracts with guys like Jordan Clarkson and Luol Dang from that <laughs> summer of 2016 that are going to clog up their books. Oh, my God. <laughs> and they already got off of the Tim Faye Moskov contract. They had to give up oh. D'Angelo Russell to do that. But, like, oh Matt, but, it, but the, I mean, that's, again, those are contracts that are on their books that, like, if the if the... If the, if they didn't have him on their books, you could be talking about the Lakers potentially getting to like triple max space if they made some moves, right? Instead, it's like, well, maybe they can get to two max space. Uh, but if you could tell a guy like LeBron, hey, you could bring two guys with you. They don't even play him. Right. 
You know, and right, and, and Luol Deng, Luol, like the they tried to call around to the league. I mean, my understanding is they've tried to call around on Luol Deng, and teams were like, "Hey, all right, you got to give us something good." And they said, "Well, we don't want to do that." And they say, "Okay, fine," and we don't want Luol Deng. And so now Luol Deng is resi- is like going to be there this year, collecting eighteen million dollars to like not show up. Yeah, because they're trying to force him into taking up the pay cut to get out of his contract. Right. Which yeah. if which it's if I which if I'm Luol Deng, I'm going to say, hey, I'll just go sit at home and make eighteen million dollars until you have to trade me. You know, I mean, it's 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 really just and Joe. I mean, heck, Joe Kim Noah's in the same situation. I mean, he. I think Law could probably help a team more at this point than Joe Kim. But like, I mean, Joe Kim has been was banished to the to the G League. I mean, who would have thought Joe Kim Noah would be playing in the G League in the second year of a seventy two million dollar contract? <laughs> I mean, it's it's really unbelievable. And I, I mean, to me, I just, and look, I mean, look, even, I mean, in the past has really only been a team like the Cavs that's been willing to go all in to, you know, you know, the Nets did briefly, but the Cavs have been willing to spend a ton of money to keep their team together. Right. And and that makes sense because you have LeBron on your team. You have a chance to win a championship, but we're talking they've, about teams they, like. They've got some 2016 contracts there. Well, yes, they do. Uh, J.R. Smith. Yep, J.R. Smith for sure. Uh, but but look, but they're but that's okay, right? Because they won a championship and they're in the finals, and they're probably going to be in the finals again. So if I'm looking at them and they're in the finals, I mean, to me, then it's worth spending the money. But if you're Charlotte, if you're Milwaukee, if you're Detroit, if you're Denver, are you going to be spending twenty, thirty million dollars in luxury taxes for teams that are fringe playoff teams? I will guarantee you Denver is never spending 30. I don't think Denver's ever paid the tax, have they? No, they have once or twice. The only teams that haven't paid the tax for this year are um, the Wizards, the, the Pelicans, and the Hornets. Mm. And the Wizards are going to pay the tax now. Um, and they also they have a better team than most of these other teams. But, like, you know, that's why to me it was amazing when the Nets basically only traded, you know, Andrew Nicholson for Alan Crabb this summer. And they literally saved Portland $60 million this summer. I didn't think, I thought they should have got a pick with that, too. Because, like, those kind of trades, like, if I mean, Portland is another team. Like, they have all these contracts from that summer. They signed Myers Leonard. They signed Mo Harkless. They signed all these guys to eight-figure contracts. And now they're looking at a big tax bill for a team that's a fringe playoff team. I mean, it's, you know, New Orleans, who's never paid the tax, is another team that's looking like that. So, I don't know. It, it's going to be really interesting to see. But you, you've had a long uh, you've had a long day. You hopefully have a shorter day tomorrow. But... I appreciate you coming out to talk about this stuff because you have a, a nice expertise in it. Um, we, 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 we could go on for days on this. We, and, and, we and could. And we will next summer. And, well, we definitely will. Um, real quick before we go, just one thing. Uh, your, your initial impressions on Isaiah Thomas and uh, where the Cavs look right now. Uh, I think Isaiah looked way better than even he expected himself, expected him to, himself to. Uh, in that in that opener, one thing I think is important to point out is um, he came off the bench in that game, and he's going to start when he, and he comes back and plays in Orlando on Saturday. Um, it might be a little bit harder when he starts because when he came off the bench, he was able to sort of play with the second unit um, where the, where LeBron wasn't out there, and they were able to run more stuff for him. Um, it may be a little bit of a um, of a, a process figuring out how to play next to LeBron for him. But that's a secondary issue besides his physical stuff. Um, I feel like um, he, you know, he wasn't, I think, as explosive as I've seen him in the past, um, but he definitely looked for contact, which I think is a good sign. And 
Uh, I think, obviously, he had um, 17 points in 19 minutes. Uh, that's a pretty damn impressive game for anybody, much less a guy playing for the first time in seven seven months. So I think uh, a great start, but I also think that it shouldn't be assumed that he's going to all of a sudden take on a trajectory of being 100% and everything being you know copacetic right off the bat. No, I and I agree with you. And I, I think the the most the most important thing was that he looked good physically. Was getting to the rim. He fell down and got back up again. Uh, I I thought it was a really impressive performance. Like you said, coming off of such a layoff. And look to me, it's gravy whatever you can give them. And if he's clo- anything close to what he was the last couple of years, their 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 position is even more secure than I think uh, it already was in terms of getting back to the finals again. But um, but you, I've I've t- kept you long enough, buddy. I appreciate you doing this after a long day. Um, I won't have you uh, try to pump yourself up and promote anything because you never do anyway. Uh, but go yep. look at go look at Brian's work at ESPN.com. And uh, thanks for um, thanks for doing this, man. I appreciate it. All right, man. I'll talk to you later. Thanks again to Brian for doing the podcast. Be sure to go check him out on Twitter and check out all of his great work on ESPN and on ESPN.com. As for me, you can find me on Facebook at Tim Bontemps, on Facebook at Tim Bontemps NBA. You can find my work in the pages of the Washington Post or on our website at washingtonpost.com slash sports. Please go give our podcast a five-star rating and review wherever you can find it, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, Radio, uh, Radio Public, TuneIn, wherever else you get your podcast. It really helps us out a lot, so thank you to Mitch for doing that. Go support Glenn Yoder in the Western States. Uh, they do the theme music for the pod, which a lot of people love, and they should because those guys are really good. So go check out their work wherever you can get it. Go also and support our other podcast here at the Washington Post, Letters from War, which is a new one that's really cool. Um, Constitutional by Lily Cunningham. Can he do that about Donald Trump? The Fantasy Football Beat just wrapped up, but that's a great fantasy football podcast for next season. Uh, a lot of really good stuff uh, over at washingtonpost.com slash podcast. Go check that out. Thanks again to Brian. Thanks again to all of you for listening. We'll be back next week with a couple of podcasts. We get rolling in the new year here, but uh, thanks as always for everything, and look forward to talking to you all again soon. Mm-hmm.